Welcome to the pen and the yod. This week's Torah portion is Shoftim. Rabbi Michael Siegel of Anche Emmet Synagogue in Chicago talks with author Jonathan Eig about who judges our judges. I want to confess um, an embarrassing story to you. Oh, this is going to be good. <laughs> well, we'll see. When I first came to Anche Emmet in 1982, I got a speeding ticket on Lakeshore Drive, which, of course, I learned... Um, was a fairly common thing to happen. And I was sort of beside myself. I was young and I just came here and going to traffic court and all the rest seemed to be somewhat daunting. So I mentioned it to my senior rabbi at the time. And he said, oh, I'll make a call. And I get a phone call a little while later from a congregant who's a lawyer who basically his practice was traffic court. He called me up and he said, meet me at the, you know, such and such a place and we'll go to traffic court together. And we walked right up to the judge. There was a line and we just, he, the judge, you know, motioned for this guy to come forward. And we went up and he said, this young rabbi is a fine, upstanding citizen and we're contesting this or something along those lines. And within, I don't know, maybe a minute we were walking out and not only did I not have to pay a fine, it wasn't going to show up on my record. And that was my introduction to the court system of Chicago in the 1980s, right? It wasn't your crime. It was who was representing you and who you knew and what kind of relationship they had with the judge. And, you know, it worked for me. I was, <laughs> I thought this was the greatest thing of all time. I thought you were going to say this is your introduction to the power of religious leadership, that your uh, position as a community leader impressed the judge and he let you off the hook because you were um, a man of the cloth. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, that, that thought didn't go through my mind. But this week's portion sort of rains on my parade because it's called Shoftim. It's all about judges. And it starts out by saying, you shall appoint magistrates and officials for your tribes. But then it goes on to say, you shall not judge unfairly. You shall show no partiality. You shall not take bribes, for bribes blind the eyes of the discerning and upset the plea of the just. And then it goes on to say, Sedek, Sedek, Tirdof, justice, O oh justice, will you pursue? And the rabbis note that when the Torah repeats a word, it's for emphasis, like justice, justice is a way of emphasizing you know, that idea. But they also go on to say that the reason the Torah uses justice twice is to teach you that you must use just means to achieve justice. And the reality is, is that in my little tale of being a young rabbi coming to Anshamid, even though I benefited, it wasn't just at all because had I just shown up in the courthouse like everyone else there and just gone before the judge, I would have paid a fine and my insurance would have gone up and everything else. But it's just because I knew someone, the specific case that the Torah is talking about. Yeah, that's it, you've raised like a million questions. I don't even know where to go next because justice depends on humans to administer justice and humans are flawed. And a, a judge, no matter how impartial, has his own personal biases. In, in this case, the judge um, was either impressed with the fact that you were a rabbi or he just owed a favor to this lawyer who was representing you because he was trying to do something to uh, to impress his rabbi. So justice, justice. How can we have true justice when flawed humans are in charge of the system? 
Right. And is there any such thing as a victimless crime? I mean, look, the city of Chicago wasn't affected by not getting whatever the fine was in its coffers and the insurance industry wasn't impacted. And, you know, it was just one of those things. So you could claim it's a victimless crime. But actually, I think we should unpack that for a minute because going forward after that day, every time I saw that guy, the lawyer in synagogue, he would say, Rabbi, remember that time we went to the courthouse? It was like a running joke between us, except that every time he did it, he would then tell the story to who was ever standing around. And so you could see the people watching. And on the one hand, it's, oh, this is what Chicago is, Chicago justice. This is how Chicago works. But at the same time, going back to what you were saying earlier, the fact that I am a religious figure and I am taking an advantage of the system, that does affect justice in a way, doesn't it? It's sort of another chink in the armor. It absolutely does. I mean, Al Capone, please don't think I'm comparing you to Al Capone here, but he used to brag when a police officer would stop him, would, would try to arrest him. Don't worry about it. I'll have this fixed before you even get me downtown. And it was true. So what happens when that occurs? The police stop bothering. They stop even trying to administer justice. So the system is corrupted and that weaves its way down. So instead of picking on Al Capone, who they should have been picking on, they go after easier targets. They go after the little guys or they go into the black community where they know that the people they're arresting can't afford lawyers. I shouldn't say the black community. They go to a poorer community or they go into a community where they feel like the victims are easier to pick on. And as a result of that, the whole system becomes corrupted and it just, it, it just spreads and spreads. I don't want to make you feel too bad, but I think that it's really pernicious and it's really deep seated. That's right. And there's the other piece of that that says, yeah, that's all true. But look, I'm not going to be a schmo here. Everyone else is doing it. So what am I going to save the world by just acting differently? Or, okay, that's just the way it is. And so this works for me, and I'll just get away with it. That's the kind of thinking that goes into this. And that's a very damaging issue. Because the Torah is basically saying, well, as a matter of fact, God is watching. I want to kind of ease into this idea, because I know, as soon as I use the G word, that your palms get a little sweaty there. But I I want to raise this idea that what happens in a system where the chief justice, if you will, isn't John Roberts, it's God, and that you are basically an extension of God's justice, as opposed to thinking that you're acting on your own. This is just me and the law. But in fact, no, you are a representative of something higher than yourself as a judge. Well, I've been thinking about this a lot these days with COVID-19 and the sense of which rules you have to follow and which rules you don't. And I'm, I've been really depressed about the feeling that we, we're not really answering to anyone but ourselves these days as a community. Uh, we feel like if I want to go out without a mask, that's my prerogative. Uh, we're not thinking about the larger community, and we're certainly not thinking about God as a judge. Are we doing the best thing for our loved ones, for our community, for our for the world as a whole? We've become so self-centered, and I think some of this ties into what you're talking about. We view these things in pragmatic terms, that I can get away with it, and therefore it's okay, and I'll let everybody else worry about their problems. And it becomes this really cynical cycle, and I've been wondering a lot about why the United States is faring worse than so many other nations. And I wonder if it ties into that sense of individualism that we pride ourselves on 
and how that individualism sometimes is indistinguishable from selfishness. I think that's a very powerful point. And just to pursue it and expand on it, you hear people say, I'm telling you my truth, as if truth is based on what you or I happen to think in the moment or what's convenient for us, as opposed to what the Torah is saying and saying, well, you know, you can talk about your truth, but there's a large, there's a bigger proof that you're actually responsible for. And it matters. It matters. And so what we're talking about is a very different understanding of freedom in the Torah. Because the Torah is saying, yes, you are free to choose, but you're going to pay a price if you make the wrong choice. So you have to choose for the larger whole. Tzedek, 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 Justice, oh justice, will you pursue? Which I think is suggesting that it matters how you get to justice. And because the implications are that it affects the entire society. And so whether or not you're choosing not to wear a mask or you're committing a petty crime because, well, the system's against me, so I'm going to take this, or I'm going to go to traffic court and get off the hook because I happen to be a rabbi in a prominent congregation where there are lots of lawyers and someone can help me out. It all sort of feeds into the same problematic. It's not about you. It's about the larger society. And you have to answer to something higher. I, I think that that's a powerful idea, and it's very different than anything that we're focused on today. Yeah, um, to keep it in the earthly realm for a second, um, that's why we appoint judges, though, is to try to get somewhat closer to the truth. We We recognize that there is no such thing as truth. There is no such thing as an absolute truth, at least um, among humans. Maybe God understands the meaning of the truth. But we appoint these judges in an attempt to have someone arbitrate what is fair, what is true, and what is just as best we can as humans. And that's an important role that we shouldn't um, write off just because it's flawed. Right. But when a judge sits down are they allowed to bring their religious beliefs into the conversation? They're not supposed to, but they do, obviously. They, they can't change their nature. They can't change. They're supposed to try to be impartial. You said it earlier. We're human beings. We bring in what, what we happen to be thinking about or our social mores. How do we understand a woman's right to choose? So have we already predetermined what the law should say based upon – our understanding of the larger society, our understanding of the mores and the values that I subscribe to. And that's how the legal system becomes so politicized. And I think this is exactly what the Torah is trying to guard against because it's saying, I'm giving you the law and there is a system out there that you have to judge impartially, that notion that justice is blind and that the system of American jurisprudence has its own approach. And we shouldn't be visiting other thinking onto the law, but is that really possible? And then how do we do it? Well, yeah, that's the great question. And I'm hoping you're going to tell me that the Torah offers some practical advice for how we flawed humans can judge and create a system, create a community with justice, uh, with rules and guidelines and codes that can guide us toward being more just because it feels like we fail Quite often well, in that. What I would say is that there is a consciousness that there is a higher justice out there. It's not just what I happen to think in the moment, but it, that there's a higher sense of justice. So, for instance, 
the prophets are going to rail against the judges of their day because they're going to favor the rich or the more powerful. And so there is this consciousness within the Torah of this higher law. And the real danger, to me at least, is when we stop hearing that other voice. Prophets play a very powerful role. And the fact that we read these prophecies each Shabbat or as a Haftorah is constantly reminding us of this ideology, that there is a higher law, that there is a God who is a God of truth and justice, tzedekum mishpat, justice and law, and that we are duty-bound to follow that God. And there are consequences not only to us as individuals, but there are consequences to us as a nation when we don't subscribe to that. And that, for the Jewish people, that's exile. And so this idea plays a really interesting role in biblical thinking and the rabbinic thinking. Uh, How it applies today, how it applies in Israel, is a really interesting question. Because judges who are usually appointed know Talmudic law. And so there is this kind of consciousness within it of what does it mean to be just, and do I answer to something higher than myself, which I don't feel is really part of the American system of jurisprudence. It's tricky because in the American system, we don't expect our judges to take an oath to God. Um, we expect them to take an oath to the country and to the community. And yet we're we're also asking them to adhere to some of the same principles, many of the same principles that are in the in the Bible. Obviously, different people view the uh, the Bible in different ways, different judges uh, take different approaches. So how do you balance that? How do you balance the, the service to the community with the service to these higher principles when this community has different views? I think we start with the idea that law has its own integrity that's outside of a given moment in time, that we can't simply adjudicate based upon the latest trends. And I think that we have to find a balance to try and understand the spirit of the law with the realities of our time and try and find that balance. Because I don't think that we can always make choices that are moral based upon the trends in a particular moment in time. Or we don't always think about the implications of those ideas. And what we do is we politicize them so we can't even talk about them. We can't even have a conversation about that. No, that's true. And that's that's the challenge, I think, is to find the principles and the values that we share and that those are the ones that, that should govern us and that our judges should make sure that we adhere to. And sometimes certain laws, certain lawmakers go astray from that. And we count on our judges to do the best they can to bring us back. So that maybe if there was the ability to have a reasoned conversation in our society, let's say about abortion, or there was a the opportunity to have a reasoned conversation about capital punishment, that could help guide us as well. Can I look at abortion and say that the amendment and the decisions of the Supreme Court are just, but that the effect of the law you know, the numbers of abortions and its effect on birth control, you know, maybe hasn't worked out the way that we thought or capital punishment and how it's administered. But is capital punishment wrong on its face? How do we look at it? How do we actually punish people? What is punishment, right? How do we look at the value of human life? That kind of flows through this. If we could have a reasoned conversation as opposed to talking at each other from armed camps, that would go a long way to creating a system of law that is part of that conversation. We don't have that. 
And so laws becoming weaponized. Yeah, that's right. And it goes back to what I was saying earlier about feeling like we're operating from a self position of selfishness that everything has to become a political battle. It's me versus you. And um, some of these things have become more contentious because they, they serve well as election issues and candidates prefer to drive a wedge to win votes rather than trying to find common ground. Right. So it all comes back to a young rabbi in a courtroom. <laughs> right. Well, at least I've really... been thinking about it and uh, and trying to uh, to create a more just society since then, as opposed to uh, maybe That's... some others who are just uh, looking to make more money off of the system. Hence the power of tshuva. Thanks, Jonathan. I appreciate it.